It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the sports, sports Rush with, with Brett Rump. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all We feel like dancing on a Monday because this championship game night. Washington and Michigan tonight from Houston, Texas. And an early kickoff. I love it. They're not going to make us wait till like 9 o'clock so the game ends at 1 a.m. Actually, what is it? About a 7.45 kickoff? 7.30, but you know it'll be a little bit oh, after Yeah, that. it'll be 7.40 or so. But, uh, yeah, the big one tonight, we had people asking questions about who we're taking. Is it Michigan? Is it Washington? Well, we're going to give you a breakdown of this game coming up about 30 minutes from now. 46862, Sparkview Sports Medicine text line. That's also the number that you text the word clowns if you want to win our four-pack of Shrine Circus ticket vouchers. We have got a four-pack to give away today. And we'll do that before the end of the show, but you do have to text CLOWNS to 46862. Also, for a few more minutes, we're going to let you check out the show on Facebook. We are streaming it. You can watch the video, a behind-the-scenes live look at today's show by going to Facebook.com slash 1380thefan. Uh, all right, so the Colts lose. That kind of stinks. <laughs> uh, bigger surprise to you. Houston making the playoffs or Jacksonville not making the playoffs? I'm going to go with Houston making the playoffs as the AFC South champion. That is more surprising to me than Jacksonville not making it. Yeah, I. Uh, that's probably, see, you added a little bit of an extra I did. caveat I, I threw by caveat. saying Houston as the divisional champion because I think the uh, the thought was... Houston, uh, number one, had very little shot of making the playoffs with C.J. Stroud's first year, a team that was as bad. I mean, they were they were playing for the number one pick a year ago. Uh, they were as bad as almost anybody in the NFL. And, uh, and to bounce back and actually win the division is probably the bigger surprise. Jacksonville... I mean, they were they were doing fine. What were they? Eight and three at one point, then yeah. lost their last uh, or five of their last six games, and uh, ended up giving up the division to Houston. Uh, meanwhile, the Colts finished third in the division. And it's not like they had the 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 most challenging win to to get to stay in the playoff hunt. The Jaguars against the the Titans. I mean, they should have won that. Game. Oh yeah, they. I mean, the Titans have had a tough season, but I, I'll say this: the Titans played well. Derrick Henry said his goodbye to Tennessee fans after the game, and I don't know if that means he's planning on retiring or just doesn't expect to come back to Tennessee. 
but he actually took the public address microphone and said his thank yous and goodbyes to the Tennessee fans. Yeah, you don't see that every no every day. Um, and then uh, had the mic drop and ran off the field. And uh, so we did have that going on. 46862, our Parkview Sports Medicine text line. If you've got any questions, comments, or suggestions, also don't forget we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash 1380 the fan. Are we still there? Yep, still oh, okay. there. Okay. Um, so, uh, but yeah, the Colts lose, and our thoughts on the play we gave them in the first hour. You can always go back and listen because we podcast every show. It's available wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You just have to search for us by name, Sports Rush with Brett Rump. And uh, I kind of feel like it was the right play call, poor execution, questionable personnel. And I understand why they wanted to slip somebody out there that they thought Houston would not be concerned with. It's worked in the past for the Colts. Throwing to guys like Mo Alley-Cox when you least expect them to throw to Mo Alley-Cox or, you know, d- different deception. But that, again, is Shane Steichen being the smartest guy in the room. Uh, the problem is you let 25 seconds go off the clock, then you call a timeout. So now you've burned one of your timeouts. If you don't make it, you give up the ball, you have one less timeout, which means you're going to get the ball back, if at all, with almost no time on the clock. It was a very poor, wasted timeout. The Colts should be able to have a play in their bag that they're ready to go to with a personnel, uh, the personnel ready to go out and take the field, uh, knowing that if they get into a fourth and one situation, this is what we're running. Uh, apparently, the Colts had practiced the play all week, so there should have been an awareness that, hey, this is what we're going to. The problem is, if you say they gave us a look that we were really confident in the play, that's fine. But then you call the timeout means that you also give Houston a chance to change their personnel and change the way they line up, especially knowing the Colts break the timeout huddle without Jonathan Taylor on the field. Right. It's exactly like you mentioned earlier. You take out uh, Jonathan Taylor from the from the lineup for the play, and the, the Texans are going to know oh, exactly the, the, what you're doing. The Texans are not sitting there thinking, I think they're going to hand it to Goodson for a power dive. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, immediately the Texans know when they see Tyler Goodson in the backfield that he is their, quote, pass-catching running back. Now, you know, fortunately, Houston didn't have him well covered. The Colts executed the play. Uh, or at least ran the play properly. They just didn't execute the finish of the play because executing the finish of the play would have been completing the pass, getting the first down, keeping the ball, giving your cha- yourself a chance to eventually win the game. And uh, the Colts never got that opportunity. But I thought uh, the fact that the Colts took the threat of the run away because they only have one back in the backfield. And if that back is not Jonathan Taylor... You're telling Houston with a big sign, a flashing neon sign, we are not running it. Okay, we're going to something in our passing game. Uh, And so the defensive end, seeing the personnel, he was coming on a pass rush. He was flying around the left tackle. And he was flying just enough that his path crossed in front of Gardner Minshew's line to throw it to Goodson. And I think it was just enough interference that Minshew kind of sidearmed the football and it made it and throw it inaccurately. And the inaccuracy was slightly to the back hip of Goodson. He didn't make the adjustment, handle the catch. And no longer, I think, can we 
identify Tyler Goodson as the Colts pass catching running back. Perhaps he's now the pass dropping running back and he will be forever known as our pass dropping running back. That's rough, but uh, yeah, you know, gotta, you know, it wasn't the best throw. I think it was a a factor, you know, multiple factors led to that ball being dropped, including the not perfect throw and including having some uh, butterfingers. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, somebody has got to come through with the play. You had two players that had the opportunity to do it, Gardner Minshew and Tyler Goodson, and both of them failed at basically bailing out the other. 46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. 46862. Well, now we do know since the season is over, there's two things on the agenda. One is what coaches get fired. Didn't take long for the firings to start last night. Arthur Smith, coach of the Atlanta Falcons, who, of course, are the team that probably you could say kept the Colts out of the playoffs <laughs> when the Colts laid an egg in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that was, what, week 16? That was week 16, their 15th game. Um, but Arthur Smith, first one to get fired. And, of course, you saw what happened at the end of the game with Atlanta and New Orleans yesterday. Sure did. Uh, Arthur not very happy with uh, the Saints running up the score, technically, you know. If, that, if you want to think that that's what they were doing. Well, in, in pro football, okay, and, and again, um, it's just professional etiquette. I don't think it's about running up the score because you don't have polls. You don't get rankings. Nobody really was playing for anything at that point because I think both teams by that, t- that time knew that Tampa Bay was going to win. Mm-hmm. But uh, what, what the Saints did was they got a touchdown for their running back. Right. Because they wanted to get him a touchdown. And the play call was victory formation go to a knee from the one-yard line. The team, including Jameis Winston, the quarterback, overruled the coach. Now, this kind of tells you the authority that Dennis Allen has with the New Orleans Saints. And we've kind of questioned him as a head coach anyway. This kind of makes me believe maybe it's time for leadership change in New Orleans. (laughs) If the team is willing to ignore the coach's play call and run something completely different, especially in this situation. But they went ahead and instead of going to the knee, they lined up in victory formation and then handed it to the running back for a touchdown. And it was meaningless as far as the score. New Orleans was already up right. by, by 30 points or something. But um, but it didn't go over very well with the Atlanta Falcons head coach, Arthur Smith, who... Uh, had a little bit of a profanity-laden outburst at uh, Dennis Allen after the game was over. Yeah, and I think... probably rightfully so, to be honest. Right. But the only thing is, I think Dennis is the only thing that he can say back is like, hey, I told him to take a knee. I don't... Yeah, but at that point, you're the guy that's accountable as far as the other coach is concerned. True. Because the other coach is thinking, they're doing what you're telling them to do. The other coach at that point is not going to believe that the team actually did something that was not called by the coach, uh, which I'm sure later Arthur Smith probably got details of of the players saying, yeah, we decided on our own that we wanted to give him the ball. I mean, he probably learned uh, what happened and may, maybe felt bad. But he felt worse when he found out he didn't have a job anymore. <laughs> yeah, that'll hurt a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then, as expected, Ron Rivera, not back as Washington's coach. Nope. That's been kind of reported for a few days now. So, um, 
Mike Vrabel in Tennessee, they're supposed to meet at some point this week to determine his future with the Titans. Yeah. Bill Belichick meeting and Robert with, Kraft, yeah. uh, they're supposed to be meeting. I think they were planning on meeting today, weren't they? They were. I have not heard anything about that other than uh, Bill earlier today being his normal self, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we know nothing there. Um and so we just wait because so far Black Monday's been a little more quiet than maybe we anticipated it would be. Matt Eberflus, is he going to be back with the Bears? That's the report is that the Bears were leaning toward bringing Eberflus back. Does the loss to the Packers have any change on that? And, of course, for the Bears, one of the big questions, what do you do with Justin Fields? Uh, but here's who the Colts will play next year. And this is not an easy schedule. But I'll tell you this. If there ever was a time for you to jump in and get a season ticket package, this might be the time. Next year, at home, the Colts will have their three divisional opponents. Texans, Jaguars, Titans. But here's who comes in non-divisional opponents. Miami Dolphins, Buffalo Bills, Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, what's one thing in common with those three? Yeah, they're all in the AFC playoffs. Right, I was just going to say, yeah, they're all top of the AFC, basically. And you get the NFC North, and at home you've got the Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears. So the eight home games for the Colts are the Texans, Jaguars, Titans, Dolphins, Bills, Steelers, Lions and Bears. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Just need the, the, the Tigers, but yeah, there no, isn't a Tiger. <laughs> well, they could have the Bengals, maybe. But, yeah, Lions, uh, Bengals, and Bears. Oh, my. Uh, but, but you've, I mean, look at that lineup. I mean, you've got uh, five playoff teams in the mix, and I think we could probably safely say that the Jaguars could be considered a uh, a potential playoff opponent. So you've got the Texans, Jaguars, Titans, Dolphins, Bills, Steelers, Lions, Bears at home. Now on the road, yeah, this would not be a good home schedule. This would not be worth the season ticket price. Uh, things get much easier on the road, but it's still on the road. So you play the easy opponents on the road. Is that the way you would want it? If you've got to play this schedule, would you want the toughest ones you play all to be at home? I think so. You get the home field advantage, you get the crowd rooting for you, and then you get the easier games on the road, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, but it's tough to win on the road, and uh, and so you play these weaker teams, but you have to play them at their place. Uh, but on the road, the Colts will play the Jets, the Patriots, and the Giants. All right. Uh, nice little smile on every Colts fan's face right now. <laughs> then you've got the Packers, the Vikings, and the Broncos. A little bit better there. Yeah, the Broncos uh, probably will not have Russell Wilson next year. They'll figure out some way to separate that relationship. But um, that that seems like an easier road schedule, although the Colts in their 17-game schedule will have nine games on the road next year and only eight at home. But, uh, man, that home schedule, I mean, that's a good ticket. That is that is a good ticket. You get the Dolphins, Bills, Steelers, Lions, and Bears. That's not bad at all. Yeah, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of. I mean, the only games. one, the only one non-divisional 
that's not a playoff team is the Bears. And, of course, that's a big matchup. Yeah, and who knows what their team could look like next season. Yeah, who knows? They might be getting a chance to see firsthand the number one pick in the draft at quarterback. Uh, we'll see. 46862, if you'd like to win a four-pack of Shrine Circus vouchers, all you've got to do is text us the word clowns at 46862. That's clowns, 46862. The circus coming to the Coliseum January 26th through 28th. These vouchers will give you an opportunity to go to the ticket office and exchange them for tickets to the show of your choice. But uh, to win today's four-pack, you've got to text clowns to 46862. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brad Rump, along with Adam Lundy. Glad to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. Midweek this week, uh, it is Youngstown State for the Purdue-Fort Wayne Mastodons. They will be on the road. Another key, key Horizon League battle. You know, the one thing for the Mastodons is you don't want to let one loss become two losses. And Youngstown State's really good. And they're especially good at home. And uh, and they kind of struggled a little bit against IUPUI, a pretty determined Jaguars bunch after getting their doors blown off the prior game game but uh it'll be a tough one and once again the dons sitting all alone on top of the horizon league standings they'll try to protect that position when they take on youngstown state coming up wednesday night 6 30 tip 6 15 airtime right here at 1380 the fan and 100.9 fm hey every week at this time we get our chance to spend 15 minutes with fish it's legendary hall of fame broadcaster don fisher well, Don, it's kind of a mixed bag since we last spoke. Uh, the Hoosiers have played twice, kind of laid an egg on the road against Nebraska and then came back home and put on a show against Ohio State. And uh, I don't know which one we start with. Let's go back and talk a little bit about Nebraska because, you know, it's here. Here's the frustrating thing is because we've seen signs of what Indiana can be, we get more frustrated with what they become in those games like Nebraska because we realize the team's not playing up to their potential in those games. What did you see out of Nebraska? Well, I certainly didn't see what I liked. Uh, it was not a good performance by Indiana, but I think a lot of it had to do with Xavier Johnson uh, coming back after sitting out a month on the sidelines with a foot injury and having only a couple uh, practices leading up to that ball game, but they felt like they had to get him back in the contest, had to get him get the rust knocked off, and the rust didn't get knocked off in that game, even though it seemed like it did after that ball game and the Ohio State game that we just played. But uh, the truth of the matter is, is I think this team was a little discombobulated with X on the floor. Uh, he, he didn't do much from the standpoint of uh, what he was trying to do out there in the court that was a positive. In fact, he made too many mistakes out there with turnovers. But it was the turnovers in total that killed Indiana in this ballgame. They gave up 27 points on 19 turnovers uh, in the game against Nebraska. Couldn't stop the three-point shot. Their defense was not good in that ball game. Khalil Ware was probably the only bright spot with 20 points and 10 rebounds. And he had come off uh, an illness that he didn't play against Kennesaw State. And he was the only guy that really played well in that contest. So when you look at it, uh, it was strictly the turnover problem. But I think also, I think because of X being back for the first time in an actual ball game, I think it factored into why Indiana did not play well. 
You know, when uh, when you look at a team like Nebraska that's that's come such a long way in one year, what's different about the Cornhuskers in this season versus last season? Well, the one thing that I thought was going to be a factor, and I think it really was, was how hard they played at the defensive end of the floor. Uh, they've always been a team that can put some points up, that kind of thing. I've always thought that their defensive play was not as intense or as aggressive as it needed to be. Occasionally they've played well in that regard, but I didn't think it's a consistent thing. They're now playing really good defense most of the time. Now, it didn't show up against Iowa the other night because Iowa beat them pretty handily. Uh, and Iowa's a team that loves to run up and down the floor. And I think maybe they got caught up in, in what Iowa likes to do from a, a run-and-gun perspective. But against Indiana, they played really well. They played cohesively. I think their talent level is much better than it has been. The mass kid inside really helps them, the big 6'10 uh, post player. Uh, he does a great job. The Tominaga kid who burnt Indiana for 28 points in that ball game is a much better player than he has been. Shoots it really well from outside. And Bryce Williams has been a big, big improvement uh, this year over what he was a season ago. So they've They've got a, a lot of good pieces there. That's why they're a much better ball club this year. I think it's Fred Hoiberg's best team. How does Indiana coach defense? Do they have a, an assistant who is a primary defensive coach? I noticed a few things in that Nebraska game that I thought were just some execution breakdowns on how they handled that dribble handoff or how they handled some ball screens. Uh, it didn't look like, because you've got to be cohesive. The guy right. who is guarding the screener and the guy who's guarding the, the guy with the ball, you've got to be extremely cohesive on how you play that that screen it looked to me like there wasn't always a connection between what one guy was doing it's kind of what the left arm's doing and the right arm's doing it's uh i i, I and i thought i don't know if that's coaching if it's just poor execution on the players parts well mike woodson would tell you that he is the primary defensive coach he he believes in defense first and he has said that all through his career uh, there's no question he he thinks the defensive side of the ball is the most important that said, this team has not, I don't know if they've embraced Mike's thinking process in that regard. This is not his, by far, this is his worst defensive team thus far in his three seasons at Indiana. They are not consistently good, and I think one of the real issues is the communication aspect of it. I think communication is such a huge part of playing defense, and these guys do not communicate well at times. With Xavier back out there now, I think that might help them because he is a verbal guy. He is not afraid to tell guys they're not getting it done, uh, that kind of thing. But he was so poor in his first performance on the floor after sitting out a month that there wasn't much leadership that he could put out there that was positive. <laughs> um, and I, I, I agree that the, 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 Nebraska, the defense at Nebraska was just horrific. Plus, the turnovers were killing him as well. Uh, that allowed Nebraska to get up and down the floor on fast breaks and those kinds of things. And uh, Unfortunately, they, they didn't get the job done. I guess the, the positive is they came back against Ohio State the other night and looked really good in almost every area except 
rebounding, <laughs> and they got pounded on the board oh. in that ball game. But other than that, they played really well. Yeah, that was uh, unbelievable, the way Ohio State was just springing up and, and pulling down rebounds. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about Ohio State. Uh, you know, I think it's a good win, but right now, if you're Indiana... Uh, I think you need more than just beating good opponents at home. Now, I'm, I'm not going to take away that Indiana got the win because the worst thing would be to losing to opponents at home. But at, at least they got the win. Uh, I think one of the bright spots, to me, Indiana has an identity. And it's getting the ball through Malik Renew. And you look at what he's done over his last four, 24 points per game. And I think he's hit eight of 12 from behind the three-point line. Uh, I thought he was uh, really strong. I thought C.J. Gunn came uh, out of, I don't want to say out of nowhere, because we know about C.J. Gunn. But uh, I thought he was pretty special at a couple of key moments in that game. No, I think you're right. Uh, C.J. Gunn was really good in this ball game, and he did kind of come out of nowhere because he has not been playing like that with the exception of the Michigan game back in December. Um, that was the last really good performance that he had on the floor. Uh, and, again, that was fairly early in December when he played against Michigan and helped him to win that night. In this ball game, he was as efficient as he has been in any game uh, in his career at IU. He knocked in four of seven shots, one or two at the three-point line, which he's always been known as the three-point shooter. Um, unfortunately, we haven't seen a great deal of that three-point shoot. Uh, those three-point shots go in since he's been on campus, but as a sophomore in this ball club, he popped in with 10 points in this ball game, uh, played the best game that he's played in a Hoosier uniform, and we hopefully that can carry over because it needs to if this team is to be as good as they need to be. And a big part of the reason that he hasn't been on the floor uh, a lot this season is because his defense is just not what it needs to be sometimes. And if he's, he's athletic, quick, uh, and long, and he could really be a great defensive player, if he does the right things, but he sometimes gets out there, uh, reaches, and the next thing you know, the guy's around him and laying it in. It's one of those kinds of things. So sometimes basketball IQ is a more important thing than being an athlete, and uh, right now I think that's the case for CJ. He's got to think the game better than what he has in the past. But all that said, Malik Renew has been special all year long, and he did not perform great in the first half of this ball game. I think he had four points at that point, but he came back in the second half mm -hmm. and he started finding him, and there weren't a lot of double teams that he had to deal with in that game, and therefore he was able to make hay because he's one of the best around the basket I've seen in a long time. And as you said, he is starting to knock down three-point shots at a pretty regular rate as well, which really opens up the floor. So uh, I think I think Malik uh, and, and Xavier Johnson in this game, too, was tremendous. He had 18 points, did not turn the ball over one time, uh, played by far dramatically better than he did in the first game back after the injury that he dealt with. Um, and he really helped this ball club with his uh, communication and those kinds of things. And I think that's one of the reasons they were able to beat Ohio State was because of what X did on the floor. What's happened to McKenzie and Baco? How can Indiana get him jump-started? 
Well, he's a freshman. I mean, he's going through periods. I mean, look at Malik last year as a freshman. He, he started out pretty decent against some of these mid-major teams that Indiana was playing early in the season. And then he plateaued, and he didn't do much of anything. And he, it was hard for him to get on the floor because he wasn't producing much almost until the end of the season. And, and so he went through about the first eight ball games last year and, and looked pretty good. And then all of a sudden, he didn't do much of anything uh, for the rest of the year up until the last two or three weeks of the season so um, uh, as freshmen uh, that the one thing that you deal with at times is your confidence level and I think McKenzie is still learning the game he's still trying to figure out what Mike Woodson wants of him um, he has not been consistent as you pointed out and there's no doubt that he is capable uh, he had like five or six ball games in a row where he scored in double figures but he doesn't do it consistently and and he does it in a short period of time because he can get hot and score, you know, like 14 points he had, I think, in, in a ball game. Uh, I can't remember what game it was. Maybe it was Kennesaw State. Like in the first yeah. 14, uh, first eight minutes of the game, he had like 14 points, and then he didn't score again. <laughs> so you, you just wonder. I mean, he's a freshman, like I said. Um, he's still trying to figure it out. I think he, too, struggles at the defensive end of the floor. Uh, and that's the reason that he gets pulled sometimes because he just isn't very good defensively, uh, and he hasn't learned all the concepts that Indiana's trying to uh, get into his head. It's a winnable road game. It's a vulnerable Rutgers team, but it is still Rutgers well, on the road. <laughs> well, think about this. Indiana lost six straight games to Rutgers over a four- or five-year period uh, and it didn't matter where they played. <laughs> they were playing either at, uh, at Simon Scott Assembly Hall or they were playing at the Rack in, in Piscataway, New Jersey. Uh, they've lost the last four times they played in, in Piscataway. They have a struggle with this Rutgers team. They did beat them last year in their last meeting. But this is a Rutgers team that plays really hard at the defensive end. They're not as good this year as they have been, but they are still good. And they, they really will bust your chops when you get to the rack uh, with that crowd. It's 8,000 strong. It's not a big crowd, but, man, they are vocal, and it's loud in there. And uh, Indiana's really had their problems, haven't beaten them at that place since 2018. Jeez. So Indiana does deserve to get one at the rack, but they're going to have to play really well. They're going to have to earn it, no doubt about it, and they've got to get a few of those road wins uh, if they've got March plans. Uh, Don, always appreciate it. Safe travels out to Piscataway. Beautiful this time of year. Uh, not <laughs> Maybe maybe not. But uh, enjoy the trip. Get a Hoosiers win. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate it, buddy. Yep, See that ya. is Don Fisher joining us here on the Sports Rush. And, of course, it's our 15 minutes with Fish every Monday at this time. He joins us here on the Sports Rush. We'll take a time out. We're going to come back. Got plenty more on the show on this Monday edition of the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. Big congratulations to Timothy East. He is today's winner of our four-pack of tickets to the Shrine Circus. He's got his four vouchers and uh, will be going to the show between January 26th and 28th at the Coliseum. Good news is we have four-packs to give away every day this week. So uh, you've still got plenty of chances to win. Just be sure to tune in every afternoon to the Sports Rush between four and six. Now, we do have a couple of programming notes uh, coming up on 
Well, first, let's talk about Wednesday night. We've got Mastodon's basketball. That will be right here at 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM, starting with an early tip, a 6.15 pregame, a 6.30 tip against Youngstown State. And then on Friday night, high school basketball will have the airwaves. We're going to have a really good doubleheader. I'm a little envious. And the tough thing is I'm going to be in town but not doing the high school game. But we've got uh, Homestead and Snyder that will be meeting up in a boys-girls or girls-boys doubleheader. And we'll have all the coverage of both games. And the girls game is going to probably decide the SAC champion. A couple of ranked teams, both uh, in the top six in the rankings this week. You've got fifth-ranked Snyder, sixth-ranked Homestead. It doesn't get much better than that. Not much better than that at all, my friend. That's going to be an exciting matchup. Do you think Mac will flip a coin so we can decide uh, who does what on Friday? <laughs> Mastodons will be at Robert Morris for a game that will be heard on the stream, the special stream at 1380thefan.com. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun night of basketball out at Homestead Friday night. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, of course, our high school game of the week presented by Parkview Sports Medicine plus We've got the Parkview Sports Medicine post-game show live from the Coventry Pizza Hut coming up this Friday night with Adam Lundy, Eric Dute, Dude Kevich, and Michael McIntyre. Uh, big night of high school coverage right here at 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. And we have t-shirts to give away from Old Fort Baseball oh, Company. So. Love the swag. If you haven't caught your swag yet, come on out to the Pizza Hut at Coventry on Friday night. It's your only chance to get the exclusive design of 260 High School Hoops on 1380 The Fan t-shirts. These have been custom designed by Old Fort Baseball Company. And uh, really cool. And you know what? It's a nice t-shirt. Oh, I mean, yeah. You know, it's not like one of the t-shirts you throw on because you're painting the house. No, it's <laughs> one of those t-shirts you put on because you're going somewhere where you want to look nice, but a t-shirt will suffice. Oh, that rhymes. There you go. There you go. Yeah, little... I think I just created a new slogan. <laughs> you want to look nice, but a T-shirt will suffice. Old Fort Baseball Company. Marketing department. Yep. Call for Brett. Logan, you owe me for that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line. So congratulations, Timothy East. We hope you have fun at the circus. And uh, as we said, more circus tickets to give away this week. Coming up. Tomorrow night, Purdue and Indiana both in action. And get ready for it, college basketball fans. It is a night of Big Ten basketball on Peacock. Oh. Good news, though. <laughs> we've got radio coverage. Got you covered here at Federated Media because we've got both games available on the radio call. Don Fisher, who we just heard from, He'll be on the IU Radio Network at 92.3 FM, WoWo Radio, only at 92.3 FM for Indiana basketball all season long. And then uh, right here at 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM, we've got uh, Rob Blackman and the Purdue Boilermakers taking on Nebraska at Nebraska. Uh, boy, that was a wild one between Purdue and Illinois. Oh, yeah. Uh, came down to uh, the end when it yeah. really shouldn't have. Yeah. <laughs> Finally had to hit a couple free throws to close off the close the door. But uh, Illinois made a furious rally coming from almost 20 points down in that second half. 
and uh, making it interesting down the stretch. But Purdue did hold on at home to defeat the Fighting Illini. And as a result, uh, Purdue is still the number one team in the country. But what a game for Trey Kaufman-Wren. You know, it makes you feel a little bit better about Zach Eady moving on, that Purdue might be in pretty good hands in the middle if Trey Kaufman-Wren can continue to play like that. Um, It was not a good night for Fletcher Lawyer. No. One for eight from the field. No, but, uh, yeah, credit to TKR, probably his career night as a Boilermaker so oh, far, yeah. TKR, you, you got, you, now you even got nicknames for him. I just didn't feel like saying this full name. Yeah, it's QMR for me, Quit Morton Robertson for the Mastodons. Uh, it's just a lot of words to have to say in a hurry. Uh, speaking of the Mastodons, lost their first Horizon League game on Saturday at the Coliseum, dropping a 106-98 decision to Wright State. Uh, not many times you're going to lose when you shoot 54% from the field, when you force 17 turnovers from your opponent, opponents, when you score 58 points in the second half alone, uh, and you have three players that score at least 23 points. And the Dons lost it, 106-98 to Wright State. But the good news is everybody in the Rising League now has two losses except the Mastodons who are 4-1 and one and still all alone in first place. Rashid Bellows, 23, Jalen Jackson's 24, and QMR's 26 led the way for the Mastodons, who couldn't overcome the hot shooting of Wright State, the number one field goal percentage shooting team in the country. They hit 66.1% of their shots, 39% from three. They had 22 assists, and uh, Wright State ends up getting the win. And uh, and the Mastodons, as we said, take their first loss. Now the Dons on the road for the next two. In fact, four of the next five are going to be on the road. This week, it's Youngstown State on Wednesday and Friday. They'll be at Robert Morris. So tonight, it's Michigan-Washington. Um, I, I mean, I think it's pretty simple. It's Michigan's defense against Washington's offense. And it's not only against the offense. It's Michigan's defense against Washington's passing game. Can they get pressure on Michael Penix? Can they make him scramble from the pocket, or does he get comfortable? Does he drop and throw on time, or does he have to scramble with pressure coming? I think Michigan's got to get pressure on Penix because I think he's such an accurate thrower and has such a good plethora of receivers that uh, that you've, you, you can't just let him sit back, plant the foot, and throw. Nobody can cover well enough to take away how accurate he is. So you've got to get through and get pressure on him. And so I think it comes down to the Michigan pass rush against Michael Penix. I think Michigan's going to be able to score against Washington's defense. I think Michigan may be able to run the football against Washington's defense. And if they can do that, they'll limit possessions. I think tonight, Michigan wins the national championship. Harbaugh rides off into the sunset onto the NFL, maybe. I still don't know about that. I think regardless of a win or a loss, if the NFL is going to happen, it's going to happen. But uh, but we'll see. That is tonight. And uh, and I hope uh, we've got Michigan to talk about tomorrow. Or we'll talk Michael Penix for two hours. <laughs> uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back. It's a sports rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. This is Maria Marcasano, head women's basketball coach at Purdue Fort Wayne, and you're listening to the Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 
Get your favorite snack food ready. Tonight, it's the national championship, Michigan-Washington. Right here on the radio, we've got the Pacers taking on the Boston Celtics on the road. Celtics will be without Jason Tatum tonight. Our coverage of Pacers basketball starts at 6.30 with the tip coming up just after 7 o'clock. Well, we've got more Shrine Circus ticket vouchers that we're going to be giving away on tomorrow's show. In fact, we've got them every day this week, so make sure you tune in for that. Also, thanks to our guest on today's show, Don Fisher, voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Back tomorrow, 4 to 6, with another edition of the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.